0: You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not for profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. Here's my book review for We Don't Make Widgets Overcoming the Myths That Keep Government from Radically Improving. One of the more popular books related to process improvement in government is We Don't Make Widgets by Ken Miller. Ken Miller who also wrote Extreme Government Makeover, is the founder of the Change and Innovation Agency, a firm dedicated to increasing government's capacity to do more good. Previously, he was the deputy director of the Missouri Department of Revenue, where he was part of a transformation effort that reduced the time to issue tax refunds by 80%, fastest in the nation, at less cost, and cut wait times in motor vehicle offices by half. I saw him present at the first lean government exchange in June of 2017, hosted by the Iowa Lean Consortium in Des Moines, Iowa. But it took me almost three years to get around to reading this book. With the COVID-19 pandemic going on right now, I suddenly had a lot of time to finish it. If you want a quick summary, I would highly recommend reading this book if you work with or within government or your work is service-based not or non-manufacturing. Even though it was written back in 2006, it is very relevant today. There are probably more government agencies applying improvement methods like Lean or Six Sigma since the book has come out. So I think his work has been paying off, but the majority still are not. So there is plenty of need out there. And I've got a link here to the book on Amazon. Miller asks the question, why doesn't process improvement work the same in government as it does in the business world? Here are some of the common myths and excuses he has heard over the years. We don't make widgets. We don't have customers. We're not here to make a profit. Our survival doesn't depend on customer satisfaction. We get penalized for being efficient. It's easy when you have a factory, we're in the service business. People don't want what we produce, we make them have it. The people who pay for our services are not those who use it, but we have elected officials and there's no incentive for us to improve. So to contradict these ideas, he uses a simple comparison between an automaker and a government agency. So we could compare Ford to like a state human services agency. The factories would be the Ford factory where maybe the Mustang is built. And the factory for human services might be the investigation of child abuse. The widget would be a Ford Mustang. And the widget for human services might be a child abuse investigation report. The customers for the car would be a driver. And the customer for human services might be the prosecutors who was working on the case. And that's a thing, one thing he pointed out was that a lot of the people in the organization might think that it's a child that's the customer, but really what they're doing is providing information to the prosecutor so they can do their job more effectively. So on the outcome side, Ford has a profit motive, so that needs to be looked at. But the driver also wants to look good and feel young and actually get transportation. In child abuse cases, it's getting safe kids, strong families, and successful prosecution of issues. He gives a few examples of these in other agencies and departments. Once employees and staff can see the connection to traditional companies, they will start to embrace improvement methods from those industries. I like his definition of government. Government is a bunch of hardworking people trapped in dysfunctional systems who produce invisible things for people who do not want them on behalf of others who do want these things for reasons we rarely articulate and can hardly measure. He does a great job comparing government to private businesses to explain why they are more similar than different. In a business, you have investors. In the government, you have taxpayers. In the business, you have board of directors. In the government, you have a government board or legislator. In the government, you have the government board or legislature. In business, you have a CEO. In government, you have a county manager or state governor. In business, you have a business unit. In government, you have a department or division. And both have products and services. Currently, government ineffectively tries to improve using the following approaches. The Blue Ribbon Commission, the Politburo, reorganization, focus on individuals and technology. And he explains each of these methods and why they tend to fail. So what are widgets? One question I had that he addresses is the use of the term widget. He feels that services is too broad and hard to define for most people all services should have a tangible or deliverable outcome or widget such as a document or report or decision or recommendation therefore it's easier when there is focus around that widget in fact most people work in the service industry over 85 percent and increasing every year so most of us have difficulty figuring out what we do and turning it into a widget not just those in government so who is your customer Defining the widgets and the customers are some of the biggest barriers to making improvements. For example, who was the customer for a license plate? It's not the drivers, it's law enforcement or police who are trying to determine if people are paying their vehicle taxes. Many states have made changes to the look of the license plates to brand their state, but they made it more difficult for police to find expired plates and thus reduce tax revenue to departments by 50% in the state of Missouri. I've also seen plates where the contrast in colors makes it very difficult to read the plates and numbers. thus hard to look up the numbers, especially as cars are driving past quickly. Defining metrics for your widget. Once widgets are defined for the process, then the team needs to determine if the right metrics are in place and if they are working on the right problems. Again, these questions are great for any process, not just government processes. For example, how many of these widgets are we able to produce? How many of these widgets do we need to produce? How long does it take to make the widget? How much does it cost to make the widget? What percentage of the widgets make it through the factory correctly on the first try? How much does it cost us and our customers when there are mistakes? What do customers want from this widget? Are the customers getting what they want? What results are we hoping to achieve with this widget? And are we achieving those results? Miller feels confident he can reduce the time to produce widgets by 90 to 95% because of how processes have evolved. The culture of cover your ass, CYA, leads to multiple inspection and documentation steps that slow down the process, all with the intent of assigning blame to the correct team, department, or individual when something goes wrong. Measuring the process speed. Here are two primary metrics needed to measure the customer experience. Work time the time during a process when actual work is happening. Elapsed time, the total time the process takes from the customer's perspective, which is work time plus any time spent on handoffs, waiting, batches, backlogs, rework, and delays. As an example, if a process takes 30 days, likely only one hour of that duration was work actually being performed on the widget. Therefore, only a small fraction of the 720 hours of waiting time was valuable. There's a lot of opportunity to reduce elapsed time for the customer by streamlining the process and removing waste. This is the exact approach for applying the fundamentals of lean. When you look at these two time metrics for your process, you'll find a lot of opportunity as well. What about variation management? The lack of understanding around variation is another issue with past initiatives, that measurements will vary up and down and not to react to those fluctuations. Managers need to understand the concept of common cause variation and only investigate when special cause variation is present. And this ties in nicely with the Six Sigma methodology. So how do we improve government processes? He also provides some simple steps for improving that are applicable for any process. Talk with customers to determine their expectations for the widget, and he gives a lot more details in the book around that. Design the widget to meet customers' expectations. Create a flowchart for the existing process that produces the widget. Calculate the two units of time, elapsed time and work time. Close the gap between elapsed time and work time by at least 80% by eliminating handoffs, cutting batches and batch sizes, eliminating bottlenecks, processing in parallel and reducing inspections. Identify ways to reduce the work time. Use problem solving to reduce errors and variance in the process and involve employees in the improvement process. I think that's a really good list. Saying no to customer surveys. Miller is also not a big fan of customer satisfaction surveys. He feels they are not measuring what the customer actually wants, rather how you delivered what you gave them as compared to their low expectations. Oftentimes the surveys are sent to the wrong customers who aren't the actual users of the widget. For example, most residents don't know who the labor department is unless they have applied for unemployment. In addition, surveys are usually reactive. The customer has already left and nothing can be done about the problem. The information takes a while to even get to the right people, if ever at all, and the time delay makes it hard to troubleshoot what happened and thus difficult to fix and prevent the problem in the future. Too often, government is focused on the funders, their parent organizations, and not enough on the recipients or customers of the widget. For example, instead of focusing on food stamp recipients to make the process easier for them, the organizations are focused more on what their state and USDA want and need. About the overemphasis on customer service. He also talks about customer service, which is the touch points when employees directly interact with a customer. That is only a small percentage of the overall customer satisfaction. Having a nice experience and interaction between employee and customer or resident is obviously important, but customer satisfaction looks at a much broader view and that is often left out of the improvement opportunities. For example, at the Department of Motor Vehicles or DMV, here are some additional questions one should ask to make customers happy. Why do customers have to wait so long in line? Why do customers have to bring in all this information? Why do customers have to come in at all and why can't customers do this from home? In fact, when you fix the entire process to make life easier for the customer, it makes it easier to provide excellent customer service. I really like this quote. It's amazing how friendly the staff can be when the customers aren't yelling at them. Miller provides five things that most customers care about. And I'll include a permitting example of each one. Again, these are great for any process. One ease of use. How easy is it to use the product, service, or widget? In the permitting example, how many minutes does it take customers to complete the permit form? Number two, timeliness. How long does it take when the customer wants something until they get it? This refers to those two times, the elapsed time and the work time that we talked about earlier. So in HR, this is actually the time when the employee is planning to leave until the new employee is hired. And for permitting, the clock starts when they identify the need for a permit, which is often much earlier than when they actually submit the paperwork. Again, on the permitting example, we could track how many days does it take to receive a permit from initial need until approval to proceed. The third metric is accuracy. How good is the quality of the widget? And in the permitting example, we could look at what percentage of payments are correct the first time. Number four would be cost. The cost to create the widget which needs to also include the life cycle costs, not just the payment or purchase price. In the permitting example, how many days of lost productivity and labor costs were used up while applying for the permit on top of the permit fees? He mentions that often customers will be willing to pay more for government services if it could reduce the wait time as their overall costs and project delays cost far more than the fees. And the fifth one is choice. How many options and customization are available to customers? So for permitting, what percentage of customers are using internet transactions? But ultimately, customers want results. They don't buy a car, they buy transportation to get one place to another conveniently. That is what all processes should be focused on. So what value does your organization provide? When organizations don't have a clear vision of what they do and show the value they provide, then they tend to get scrutinized on every purchase and budget they submit. Instead of reporting the impact they have on the community, they report easy metrics to collect. For example, building permitting often reports metrics like how many permits were given out, how many staff were involved, how many buildings or how many hours of processing were applied to the permits. But a better metric might be how many affordable housing units are now available, which might be the larger goal for having certain permits. He also walks through a five whys exercise, but in reverse order. To help organizations find their true purpose, and he gives a couple examples in the book. So what name do you give to the improvement? He suggests not putting a name to the improvement initiative like Lean or Six Sigma or Process Excellence. Otherwise, it might appear to be something different than the core operations and thus another thing on their to-do list that they don't have time for. It should be integrated into the way employees are improving every day. Speaking of employees, what about employee satisfaction? Miller suggests not focusing on employee satisfaction directly. Instead, he suggests fixing the processes. And he adds a quote I liked, by fundamentally improving the systems that satisfy customers and that deliver organizational outcomes, you invariably end up improving the lives of the employees. So where to start with improvement? Here are some areas to look at first. Systems that are the largest consumers of the organization's time and money, areas of customer dissatisfaction, processes with numerous errors and rework systems that could benefit from going 80% faster areas that will have a big impact on other systems processes that will yield a high return on the project's investment or systems that will show noticeable improvement within 12 months time. He suggests that you should put together a cross-functional team to work on the improvements and ensure that you have a strong management sponsor and a trained change agent. Ideally managers should become the change agents and they should know how to determine customer expectations, develop performance measures, analyze data, improve a process, solve a problem, manage a project and develop their people. In summary, here are the three myths of government improvement. One, we are here to achieve a profit and that we need to be as focused on our results as a private sector is focused on profit. Number two, we do have customers. They may not be who we thought they were, but our success does depend on their satisfaction. And three, we do make widgets, we do have factories, and it is possible to measure, manage, and improve what we do. If you like this review, read more about Ken Miller through the link on the website, or you can check out the We Don't Make Widgets book on Amazon, hope you enjoy. If you like this topic, please check out Lean Six Sigma for Good, lessons from the Gemba. Volume one is released and available through Amazon. We will soon have an audible version coming out early in 2020. And we're working on volume two as we speak. Volume one has eight chapters written by different authors who share their experiences applying Lean and Six Sigma to not-for-profit organizations. All proceeds from the sales of the book series will go to the nonprofits selected by the authors. Thanks for your support.